If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we are in the season of Lent. If you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we're in the season of Lent. That Lent is something that hundreds of millions of followers of Jesus participate in every year as a reminder of preparing for a way of the cross as we move towards Easter. I grew up in a tradition where we wanted Easter, but the way of the cross is something that we didn't really want to participate in. But they go together. This isn't a story about 2,000 years ago that a Palestinian guy did some things. This is an invitation to our own journey that this is just what it means to be human, that this is a universal story, that all of our lives are filled with the cycles of life and death and resurrection. That is not something that just takes place back there. That is something that we participate in as human beings. And Lent is the reminder to slow down, to ask some questions, to let go of some things, to take some things on that remind us of what that cycle of life actually is. Because we all want resurrection. We all want the thing over there where our lives are changed and transformed. And it is difficult for many of us in our culture to move towards a way of death, of letting go, of dealing with our fragility, but Lent is the beautiful reminder of that. And so to get really practical about that, we're going to talk about everybody's favorite subject today, Sabbath, and the crowds went wild. Nice. But how do we reclaim some things? How do we get practical about some things as we actually talk about this ancient tradition that for thousands of years has the ability to revolutionize our lives? And let me just be honest with you, it is something that I suck at practicing I think it is something that is not built into most of our lives as Americans. But I think that there's a way of Jesus that is asking us, but what if we really looked at this thing, and what if it could actually be practical and work for our lives? So with that, if we're going to talk about Sabbath, we've got to talk about some things. We've got to talk about blue carpet. And if we can talk about, you get it. And if we can talk about blue carpet, then we've got to just take some internal inventory again of our lives. And if we can talk, do that, then we've got to talk about how revolutionary this thing actually is. If we can talk about how revolutionary it is, then we just got to stop. And if we do that, then we talk about the tyranny of the urgent. And if we can deal with the tyranny of the urgent, then we can delight in some things. And if we can delight, then we really got to talk about which God. If we can do that, then, you know, Monopoly, my friends. <laughs> my Mimi and Papa's house, which are my grandparents, I would go there. When you would walk into their house, there was a living room and a dining room to the left-hand side. And in this living room and dining room, there was blue carpet that no one ever stood on. It was a room that was just unused. And this blue carpet was perfectly vacuumed in such a way that if you were to walk on it, they would know that your seven-year-old feet walked on it, right? It was like a security system that it was vacuumed so perfectly. Inside this horrible blue carpeted room were like white couches with plastic over it. It's just to tell you that if you are a child, you are not welcome here. This is not for you to enjoy or to participate with. This is just a room that we have that does nothing for your life. And in this room, there was golden tables, like right out of the set of TBN. And you're like, what is even going on here? And there's just ancient-looking furniture. And as I think about that room, that that room sat empty for 25 years, the thing that I don't like about that room is it wasn't working for anybody's life. It didn't help. You couldn't participate with it. And I think for so many of us, when we think about faith or spirituality or religion, the thing that Jesus is asking of us is, is your faith actually working for you? 
Or is it disintegrated from your life and it's just this thing over here that's got some plastic on the couches and some carpet that you don't walk in and you're scared to go near it or maybe it just isn't actually working for you the way that you understand it. Maybe it's not designed well for you. I think what Jesus is always inviting us to is can your faith actually be practical? If you read Jesus through the lens of not some like highbrow theology or even some like deep spirituality, but just pragmatically, I think sometimes we would reconnect with Jesus in a different way. Everything that Jesus was doing was simply this. I have come that you may have life and life to the fullest. I have come that this stuff that we're talking about, our faith, our spirituality, our religion, may it be integrated in the rest of your life and may it actually work. That's why Jesus would say wild things like this. You've heard it said. Remember all the religious teachers, the pastors, the people in your Awana's classes who taught you this? And then it didn't work for you? Well, I say to you, I've got a different way of living, a different way of thinking. So follow along with me in Mark chapter 2 as we hear about the life of Jesus. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And he answered, have you never read what David did? By the way, this is like a subtle Jesus is being sassy to some religious leaders. Of course they've read. This is Jesus throwing shade 2,000 years ago. So just in case that went by you, I find it funny. Not like LOL, but like in my heart, a little chuckle. So there you go. (laughs) Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, everybody's high priest, favorite high priest, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is Mark chapter 2. Why that matters is that if you were reading the Gospels, if you were hearing the stories of the Gospels, you would notice that this story comes up pretty early in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is trying to reclaim some things, and Jesus is trying to give you some practical tools that you can actually deal with your life. There's a reason this isn't in chapter 11. This comes up early on because Jesus is saying, oh, there's some practices that you need that's going to help you along the journey as you follow me, and Sabbath is one of those. But unlike the ancient world, where for Jews 2,000 years ago, you were so worried about not messing up the Sabbath laws that when sun went down on Friday until the sun went down again on Saturday, you just didn't do anything. And you were so religiously frenzied and fundamentalist about that that you didn't want to break those laws. We live in the opposite culture. We don't give up about Sabbath. It's just not a part of our lives. And that's not shame or guilt. It's just not a part of our routines. And so it has to be reclaimed whichever end of the spectrum that you're on. And Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he's talking to them in a practical way, saying, oh, you're kind of missing the point here. You think that this is some religious law that was made up and that people just have to honor the religious law because God somehow is so weird that God just is more like Santa Claus and wants to know, can you keep the checklist or not? Jesus is just naming that, that apparently in every generation we make that kind of God. Are we being naughty or nice? And Jesus is saying, no, I think God's way more interesting than that. And that God gave us a practical tool. And that you weren't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a tool that was actually made for your life. So if your faith, if your spirituality, or your religion is not working for you, stop it. Don't do it. You don't have to fight that fight. 
And if anyone asks you, well, what is this deconstruction and this liberal progressive stuff that you're doing, and what is your church talking about? Oh, we're just talking about what Jesus told us to do. Just stop doing it. Don't get into that way of thinking if it doesn't work for your life. And so now we have to ask ourselves some question. Is our faith, is our religion, is our spirituality working for us? I keep coming back to this passage, these words of Jesus in the season of Lent. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That as we take an internal inventory of ourselves, ask yourselves the simple questions. Am I weary and am I burdened? Does life just feel like too much? Is my life working for me? Do I feel like I have more confusion or do I have more clarity? Do I feel like my life is filled with enjoyment or is my life filled with envy? Is my life filled with peace and contentment and satisfaction or is my life filled with anxiety and worry and fear Jesus is just begging the question is your life working for you and this is not a guilt or shame trip Jesus is simply saying this if you feel like your life is not working for you that you are weary and that you are burdened then come and try this on for a little bit Come and try this way of following me and just see if it works out for you. Jesus is not doing that with condemnation. He's not doing that with critique. He's not even commanding you to do that. He's just saying, come and follow me. And when you see the invitation that I'm offering you, when you see the example and the modeling of my life, I just want to know maybe this will work out for you. Maybe you won't feel weary anymore. Maybe you won't feel burdened anymore. Maybe what you'll actually feel is rest and we all have to take an internal inventory in this room and just ask ourselves do I feel rest in my soul in the deepest part of my bones do I feel rested have you ever been in that place in life where you've just been so tired and you get days and days of catching up on sleep and you still wake up and it's like you still feel exhausted like you'll never catch up like it's all too much like you can't handle it or you can't hold it. I think what Jesus is saying is like, oh, I get that. I get that's what it means to be human sometimes. So come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, I'm not just going to offer you rest in some magical version of faith where you say the right prayer and A plus B equals C, and if you raise your hand high enough at the winter retreat, then all of your problems will go away. I have tried that. And I'm going to tell you a secret. I won't speak for you. All of my problems did not go away. They were still there. That doesn't mean that those moments weren't beautiful. That doesn't mean that those moments can't be inspiring. But our lives cannot just be moments that happen on mountaintops. Our lives must be rooted in practices and rhythms. That's just what it means to be human. And so we get to a passage like this. And Jesus is saying, I want to invite you into a rhythm of Sabbath. Now, for many of us, we don't understand Sabbath in the same way that Jesus did because we are Western American Christians, and we have a certain way of seeing the world. Jesus was a marginalized Jew. He has a different framework for just what it means to be human than most all of us have in this room. So when Jesus is thinking of Sabbath, when Jesus is talking about Sabbath, there are just some things that are going on in Jesus that might not be going on inside of us. 
One of the differences for Jesus as he's thinking about Sabbath is Jesus is immediately thinking back to the Exodus story where God first introduced Sabbath to the world. And here's where I want to just like slow this thing down. Sabbath in Hebrew has two meanings. The first word for Sabbath, its meaning in Hebrew is just stop. It just means stop. Now I want you to think how revolutionary this is. The Israelites had just been under the oppression of the most powerful empire the world had ever seen, Pharaoh and Egypt. This empire had so much wealth and so much greed that they would work their slaves, the Israelites, to keep building more storehouses for the stuff that they didn't need. I know this doesn't sound familiar to any other empires you know of. And that finally, this group of slaves is freed by this God, liberated out of Egypt, liberated from Pharaoh and that oppression. And the one spiritual practice that God gives them in the Ten Commandments, by the way, the rest of the Ten Commandments are not spiritual practices. Only one of them is. And it's not, read your Bible faithfully every day. It's not, you got to say all of these prayers. The one practice that God gives a group of slaves is this. You must take a day off to rest. That's revolutionary. 3,500 years ago, that's revolutionary today. That what God is saying is you all need rest. And I'm going to build this into the universe from the slaves, from the lowest people in society all the way up. Because a society that gives them rest means everybody gets rest. It's powerful and it's beautiful that what God is inviting humanity into is to just stop. A group of people who worked and worked and worked and worked to build storehouses for the empires of the world, God is saying, do not do that anymore. There are days that you just need to stop. There are days that you just need to rest and soak in the life that I have given you. That for many of us, we don't have the literal Pharaoh or Egypt anymore, but we have figurative ones. We have figurative empires and structures and people and things going in our lives that we need freedom from. We have things that we are oppressed by and repressed by that no longer serve us, that are demanding our time and our energy. And what God is saying is like, what if you could just stop from that? What if you no longer had to give that thing life? What if you could say that thing no longer gets power over you? One of the things that I see in our culture that we are all in oppression to is just this idea of the tyranny of the urgent. That there is tyranny that we think that everything needs to happen right now in this moment. If we don't do it, what's going to happen? I was driving home this week and I was getting all of these text messages and have you ever been driving on the freeway and people are texting you and there's this like build up in you like I need to respond to these people right now? Why? Where did that come from? Where did that idea come from that we have to respond to everything right now in this moment and there's never a moment off where we don't have to respond to those things? Where did that tyranny come over us? I have that feeling all the time. I am an Enneagram 3. When I see the little red dot notification, like when my email box is full with unanswered emails that are not appropriately filed away in every email folder, which they are supposed to be, like a civilized human being would do, I got a little buildup in my stomach. And I've just been trying it out this week of what if I don't have to respond? Just like simple things. I don't have to respond to that text until I get home. I know this is radical spirituality, people. 
See if you can practice something wild like this. That there's just these little things in life that are just the microcosms of the macrocosms of how I live the rest of my life. There's just a tyranny of the urgent going on all of the time. And when I say Sabbath, I don't think it's just this like ancient idea that you have to take off sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. I think what God's inviting us into is, are there just small places in life where you can just stop? Where you don't have to live under that oppression anymore. You can just free yourself from that thing. That thing is not serving you. You don't have to live with that type of urgency for everything. Not every single person who texts you gets an equal vote in your life. There are some people you don't have to respond to for a week, and that's okay. What if we learn to just stop, to let go, to say, oh my gosh, there's freedom in me not living under the oppression of this thing. The other word for Sabbath is the word delight. And I think that's also just rooted in the beautiful revolution of what took place. A group of slaves who were freed by a very particular God, and this very particular God freed them from the most powerful empires of the world. And what God is saying when God says, I want you to go rest, I want you to stop, because stopping is actually good for you. What Jesus is saying is, I don't need you to stop for God. Just so you know, by the way, many of us grew up with the word version of God, and we had to defend God. Did any of you ever have to defend God when you were a kid? Like God was like very much in need and insecure of you finding the right words to defend this God? What a weird God <laughs> who's got some really big insecurity issues. And what Jesus is trying to say, you don't have to defend God. God's okay in this story. God is the infinite one. God is the one who holds all of the cosmos together. We are finite. We are fragile. We're not doing Sabbath because there's a God out there with sociopathical insecurity issues. God is saying, I have the Sabbath for you because you just need to stop sometimes. Because when we stop, we take deeper opportunities to look at the internal inventory of our lives and what's actually going on. When we're not rushing to the next email, when we don't wake up in the morning and begin the death scroll on Instagram, when we don't have to answer that text right away, when we create just small little moments of rhythms and space and rest, it might bring breath and an exhale and freedom to our lives. And then as we bring freedom to our lives, we're gonna to begin to have the opportunity to look deeper within ourselves and find out some truths of what is actually going on here. When we escape the tyranny of the urgent, we can find freedom in new ways. And so this God is saying, stop, and once you stop, you'll also have the opportunity to delight. Man, how many of us just wanna just delight at life? How many of us just have these opportunities where we slow down? Oh, by the way, like three weeks ago, I heard all of you come into the room and everyone did this. There are snow on the mountains. <laughs> just sunlight was like flooding all of our souls, right? In Los Angeles, there is snow on mountains. You know what we call that? Delight. Just smiles on our faces. And how many of we just need more of that? We just need to pause, get away from the tyranny of the urgent, stop, and then we can say, oh my gosh, that thing's been in front of me this entire time. That person, that memory, that prayer, that thought, the mountains have always been here. Okay, now we're talking. It's interesting. And I think what God moves us to, and this is something that I feel is something that we're growing and reclaiming in this room, 
is God is saying, not just delight, but delight in me. And many of us haven't used words like that in a long time. And that's why the story of liberation is so important here. This is not a weird, insecure God asking for more Chris Tomlin worship services. And if that is your thing, praise God and enjoy. This is a God who's saying, I am the same God who liberated you. I was there in the moments in which you thought you could never be freed from that thing. And I would imagine that if I went around this room, almost all of us would have a story where we thought, I never thought I'd get out of this. I never thought I'd be freed from that. I never thought I could get to today. I never thought I would get over that relationship. I never thought my heart would heal. I never thought I could have that conversation. And guess what? You did. And then there was a God there with you the entire time participating in the liberation of your life. In the liberation and freedom from pharaohs and empires and structures and addictions and pains and family traumas and hurts and peoples and relationships and conversations and comments on Instagram and whatever your thing may be, there was a God there who liberated you from that. And so when you reclaim delighting, not only in the snow on the mountains, but also in God, you would say, of course I want to delight in you. This sounds like so old school evangelical, but it's all coming back, people. Of course I want to delight in this God, because this is the God that liberated me. And I want to pause, and I want to reflect, and I want to remember. And I want to just say thank you. I want to live in gratitude. Because I think when we live in that gratitude, when we connect with this God in this way, then it comes back to the thing that Jesus is inviting us into. I'm inviting you into this life with this God. Because you just have to ask yourself the question, not out of guilt, not out of shame, not out of anything else, but is your life working for you? Do I have more clarity or do I have more confusion? Do I have more enjoyment or do I have more envy? Am I working with the love in my life? Or am I working for love in my life? There's a million versions of this question that we have internal inventory that we're doing. And Jesus is just asking practically, all of you who are heavy and burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. That's the invitation. But to do that, you have to follow me. You have to practice this way of being. It just doesn't happen by osmosis. You're going to have to choose just to stop on some things. You're going to have to choose just to delight in some things. Yesterday, I'm finishing up some work, and my daughter comes into the room, and I'm like, just in that thought. You ever just in that thought, and a human being, like, texts you, bugs you, whatever? We'll just get kids. It happens all the time. And she says, Dad, do you want to just play Uno with me? And, you know, I'm, like, preparing for, like, a sermon on Sabbath, so I'm like, I'm just going to stop and delight right now. <laughs> because this is what I'm going to talk about tomorrow. And so I did. And we played Uno. And then all the other kids came out, and we got into Monopoly. If you know anything about Monopoly, it takes four hours. <laughs> and so I, could, I had to keep stopping more, and delighting more, and stopping more, and delighting more. And all the things that I had to get to, I didn't have to get to. It was amazing to realize how voluntary most of life is. There was no urgent. I could turn off my phone. I could practice just for four hours in my house a little bit of Sabbath, that in this place, the people that I love the most, the people I would give everything to, they're already there. And I don't have to say yes to any of these other things. 
all I have the opportunity to do is to say yes to the goodness that is already in front of me. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Find the same three or four people around you and answer this question. How can you practice Sabbath? Enjoy. Joy, I saw your big announcement. Uh, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm just tired. Yeah, that's <laughs> real. I get that. I'm tired. Glad you're here. Thanks. Yeah. Look at this handsome guy. I always see him in the thing. Hi, handsome guy. That's fair. That's fair. Hey, I just want to say thank you so much for your wisdom last week. It was uh, it was a big deal. So. I wish uh, I wish I had the wherewithal mm -hmm. to have had more. Oh, well, I think what you said was so beautiful and so calm. And yeah, thank you. Absolutely. I yeah. hope I hope that things are moving forward and yeah. you're able to find healings. I know I, I can only imagine. Yeah. How you felt. Yeah. Thanks for that.